Hello everyone, this is Logan from the future, and I just wanted to let you know that I have to bring this up because it is going to be very noticeable around the hour mark, all the way, kind of sprinkled all the way up to the 90 minute mark. You're going to hear a bunch of classic 80s music, mainly because my neighbor decided at a random time in the evening when we were recording to just blare classic rock. Thankfully, I was able to reduce the noise enough that it's not as obnoxious and as overbearing as it was when we were recording, but it is still there. So if you hit the hour mark and you start to hear some random 80s tunes, that is why. With that out of the way, enjoy the episode. gonna talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife, but I do not care about it enough to spend <laughs> minutes talking about not it. Not worth the brain. It time. is fine. Okay. Let's get into the actual episode. Hello everyone, I'm Logan Zowash. And I'm Andy Carr. This is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy, and on Odd Trilogies we take a trio of films, whether tied by number, cast and crew, thematic elements, and we talk about each film involving the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And today we're getting right into it because, like last episode, we are going to be talking about superheroes. Yeah. We are talking about specifically a trio of superheroes films that is considered to be, not controversial per se, but definitely one of the most popular trilogies of the 2000s. Right, iconic to At this point, yeah. Yeah. So we're going right into it. We are talking about Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. 2002 Spider-Man, 2004's Spider-Man 2, and 2007 Spider-Man 3. The fact that I just got all that out in less than a minute is astounding. <laughs> that is the fastest I think we've ever yeah. done an opening, and I am okay with we're, it because we're on a tear. There is a lot. With yeah, this there's trilogy. a lot to talk about, and not only is this a superhero trilogy, and we love superheroes, but these movies um, and this character—they're—they're they're just very important to us, and we yeah. have a lot of opinions on them, and all the other different variations of spider-man media that have existed so there's yeah. just a lot of i mean and I th- plus when you mix in the the context that we're kind of you know we're kind of looking at this as an installment in our our raimi coverage so we're kind of looking at it through the lens of his career and other things he's done so yeah, there's just there's a lot to get into today. i mean it's, it's wild to think that since we've talked about you know the last time we talked about raimi the last film of his we talked about was for the love of the game yeah and that was three years before this film. And if you told me, <laughs> if I had never seen Spider-Man 1 and you had told me after For the Love of the Game that that was going to be like his second film after that, I'd be like, I would not believe you. Because it's astounding how these films pretty much paved the way for how superhero films are done today and surprisingly are not as dated as you think they would be, at least to me. I feel like what's so wild about these films is that Raimi's approach, especially with the first film, and honestly, I think it bleeds into all of them, with the third one having the least of it, it's the worst film, and we will get to that, but with 2002... Wait, the third one? Yeah, the third oh, okay. one. I thought you said the first one, and no, I was like, no, wait no, a no. minute. Here's the thing, is I think, cut and dry, I think 2002 Spider-Man is probably one of my favorite superhero films of all time. Yeah, it's got a softer spot in my heart than... In two, Most movies. I think it's got a softer spot in my heart than two. I think yeah, it's a better yeah. film I, I than two. I have more, more po- like, 
loved beloved memories with the first film than I do yeah. with Spider-Man 2. Because I remember, because I've seen one and two almost 20 times, if not more. Yeah. And I've seen three maybe five times now. Oh, really? <laughs> maybe I think I've, I've, I've seen just, them all probably equally. Because uh, I've not seen three that many times. Okay. Because three well, is... Nah, I haven't watched three as many times. Because I, I watched one on like repeat as a kid. Oh, me I watched too. that movie so much. And three, I remember watching in theaters, thinking it was fine years later hearing that it was terrible and was like wait what i don't remember it being bad and so i watched it and was like oh yeah that's bad yeah three is interesting because yeah the, the story behind three is just fluctuating all the time right yeah and with, with one and two the thing about spider-man one is the fact that it's like this is cut and dry spider-man and in its classic spider-man it is very clear that raimi is a fucking nerd because this film feels like what if i took the 60s spider-man and i did that story in 2002. Uh, yeah. And that kind of has the vibe in terms yeah, of certain, the approach. Certainly, like, the aesthetic of it and the kind of... Yeah. The energy feels very, like, 50s, 60s, kind of lighthearted The The approach to Nerd Peter, thing. the wrestling stuff. Yeah. And, the costumes. Well, and even, like, the stiff dialogue is very, oh, like, mid-century. Kind I love of like, it. Oh, man. Um, um, this which, the which, smaltiness. It's, yeah, the smaltiness is all is so ramy. And it's um, funny to think that like at that time that is almost groundbreaking because two years prior, hell, three years prior, we have a popular comic book film that is a Marvel property that is too afraid to be colorful, that is yeah, too afraid right. to be silly. In the way that the Raimi films do it, and so like right, we're talking about X Men, of course. Yes, which we're talking is about Brian Singer's X Men. Very much. I mean, it is schlocky, but maybe not intentionally so. No, it's I, more kind of just a product of the '90s, early 2000s I, kind of schlocky. I would argue that the first X Men film is not good. Okay, that's fair. I I, would, I don't I, have any loyalty to the first. I would X-Men. say it's fine, <laughs> yeah. but when I rewatched it, I was just like, my God, the fact that. Spider-Man 1 is three years away after this yeah, right. is astounding because they feel like they're decades apart in terms right. of approach, execution, quality, in terms of the writing. Yeah. Like, it's so weird how much three years can change, like, perception, especially yes. when it comes to superheroes. Right. What's also weird in revisiting these movies today is thinking about how uh, you know, for that period, the early mid two thousands, um, these Spider-Man movies were the kind of gold standard for action blockbuster adventure movies, which oh, yeah. is weird. Thinking about how silly they are, absolutely. And, and looking back at that, just because it's not silly in the way that you know a lighthearted, uh, you know, family-oriented action blockbuster romp would be today. It's not like kind of quippy and snide and and funny and lighthearted and all that sort of thing it's like it's schlocky like a b movie like it, it's it it's is ramy it's, it's it is silly it is evil goofy. dead it doesn't make sense sometimes it's, it's evil it's, dead sensibilities horror sensibilities yeah. in some places especially in the first two films right in terms of some certain segments but yet what's so great about these films in my opinion is the fact that like Raimi is very understanding the fact that, like, the appeal to comics is that they can do the cheesiness, but they can also balance it well with the emotional, genuinely character-building moments. 
And that's kind of the one of the things I like about the first two Spider-Man films. And even the best of Spider-Man 3 is the fact that, like, those are films that have just, like, silly, you know, fucking... <laughs> Peter has, like, a Superman opening up his suit and seeing his actual <laughs> right, right. spider-man suit under it moment yeah you have the scene in the first film where you have the girl pointing at the sky going it's spider-man yeah and then he soars and, in the frame yeah. yeah and like him jumping on floats and bouncing and whatnot yeah. you have all those moments but they never take away from the moments that are supposed to be emotional or and just and just genuinely impactful or intense like i really enjoy i mean i don't know i just i just like i think it's insane to me because I think one of the biggest things that I love about the first Spider-Man film is that the one thing that it seems like most modern superhero films do not take from it, because it's it's a bit more complicated now, I understand, but like when people are trying to do a film like this again, it seems people forget that like Raimi fucking like just grinds the basic stuff down to its most necessary elements, where it's like the first hour of this film is the entire is the origin story. It's the entire origin story. Right, yeah. From nerdy Peter to getting bitten, the wrestling, Uncle Ben dies, he figures out great power comes great responsibility. He gets the suit, he graduates from high school. And yeah. the second half of the film is basically his first real supervillain. Yeah. And that's just like insane how tight it is, but still how impactful and well developed. Yeah. Well and, and and retrospectively how low stakes it is. Oh my <laughs> like, like the, I the miss city that so the, much. the city is not under threat. Um nobody is you know, the world's not gonna end. The it's literally just Green Goblin or Norman Osborne wants to be able to do his thing and he can't and spider-man's an obstacle so he's just mm -hmm. like well i either got either got to get spider-man to join me or i gotta kill him and that's literally it. that's all it is like it's not i'm gonna take over the city even spider-man no. 2 steps that way up with the doc op i'm gonna blow up the city kind of thing yeah but even um, then but it's not even no, he's I, I, yeah yeah i'm not criticizing no for sure I'm, I'm, I'm just, just saying, saying like even even from Spider-Man 1 to 2 is a huge leap when you look at just how small stakes Norman Osborn's like motivation and goal is. Yeah. Like, he's not trying to conquer anything or take anything over. He's just a businessman who's driven insane by his kind of ambition, basically. <laughs> yeah, he basically is just, he is so desperate to keep his company afloat that he's willing to put basically crazy juice into himself and right. becoming a super villain. Yeah, and then his only kind of opposition is spider-man so he's like well i gotta take spider-man out and like, yeah. that's his that's the conflict of the movie is there's only one goofy colored looking guy in a suit yeah the only me. reason the only reason he really endangers anybody else is to get to spider-man yeah he's it's, not like it's, trying to take uh, over something or whatever it's what's great too wild. is that kind of just kind of keeps going throughout the majority of the films where it's like yeah and two there is technically like a half of New York could get destroyed plot. Yeah. But Doc is not trying to do that. Doc is just trying right. to prove it's that he's not a right. Motive. Yeah. It's all about pride for him. Yeah. And then well, the he gets yeah, kind of swept up in his his ambition to achieve his yeah, scientific he, miracle. He's also gone crazy. Right, right. Well and then and then the third one is well you've got one guy who's basically just a down on his luck 
escape convict. You just so happened to run into a science experiment. <laughs> and, we'll... and then you've got an asshole dude who gets corrupted by it's, an infectious, yeah. you know, space a, parasite. A sociopath who becomes a yeah, fucking right. villain. There's no, there's no world-ending threat. And I'm not remotely saying that movies with world-ending threats are bad automatically Absolutely or anything not. like that. But it's just fascinating thinking about yeah. how small small the conflicts are in it, these movies it's fascinating to think that uh, like in age of ultron there's a scene where tony uses an entire building to just try to knock out the hulk and then in spider-man 3 the entire climax is in a building that's half that size right right and it's all it has nothing to do with saving the world or anything it's just two villains are pissed at spider-man <laughs> they're trying to kill him yeah yeah and it still i mean We'll get Spider-Man 3 because that fucking movie's not good. But in terms of 1 and 2, it's just it's astounding just how straightforward it is and how Raimi knows what he wants to do. They do it. And even when there's certain things where it's like, you know, they had an idea of having a more grotesque kind of uh, realistic-looking face mask for Goblin, and of mm-hmm. course it doesn't work out because of just, like, prosthetic like, – prosthetics and the kind of it just didn't work as well as they wanted it to yeah it doesn't really matter in the end of the things because defoe is so committed yeah, to he, green goblin he comes right through that power ranger he mask. is in a goddamn power rangers outfit and it does not matter yeah it says a lot to me that in no way home you see the same power rangers outfit <laughs> and no one's making fun of how stupid that thing is because everyone's just excited to see that character right, back again right. so it's great to just it's and it's also great the fact that like Defoe apparently did a, a good chunk of his stunts because oh he yeah just, Defoe was super into yeah that but yeah. he felt like the like he felt like his stunt doubles couldn't get the same uh, like physicality like energy of his, and physicality yeah, yeah. that you need to be the Goblin yeah. like you think of like as soon as he becomes Goblin the first thing he does is pose and go yeah right, right. and it's immediate there's well, not his, even his, the hesitation. his stunt doubles just couldn't twerk like Defoe on that glider absolutely not. It's just astounding how that first film is just cut and dry to me. Pretty fantastic in terms of capturing and and the classic Spider-Man. Because that's the sure. thing too is like the big thing about Spider-Man, the big thing about comics in general is that we're now at a point with how we're handling comic book characters that we can now f- we need to kind of make it clear that like. There is not one version of Spider-Man. There's not one version of Captain America. There's not one version of Iron Man. Right. Like most like most writers and like most creative kind of outputs, they're like you know creative properties. There are a bunch of writers attached to it and sometimes some writers are much more interesting and kind of like have a spotlight more in their work yeah. than others. Well, and, and and with characters, particularly comic book characters where where there's just been so many stories about them by different people you know the quintessential spider-man that you imagine in your head the standard that you measure all subsequent iterations against is not from one book or one movie or one comic it's it's an amalgamation of all of the versions of spider-man that have been influential and that have made a stamp in in people's minds and it all kind of comes together to create, you know, what you think of as the spirit of the character. And yeah, and, and what's what's even crazy, and like saying that too, what's also crazy about that is the fact that Raimi's version of Peter Parker is not 
one-to-one classic Peter. No, that's a huge misconception that it seems like a lot of people our age seem to have, which is that, like, Raimi captured perfect 1960s comic Peter, Spider-Man, no. and his origin to a T. And it's like, that's not really true. No, it's, it's just Raimi's interpretation of the 60s. Yeah, right, right, right. The but it is thing, very much Raimi's interpretation. Yeah, because Raimi's interpretation of Spider-Man, which will ultimately lead to a controversial choice in Spider-Man 3, is the fact that in the comics, when, when Peter becomes Spider-Man, not only does he get abilities, not only does he get a cute suit, not only does he lose an uncle, Mm-hmm. But he basically becomes more self-confident and becomes basically, to almost an extent, like a ladies' man without being a douche. Sure. And like basically yeah. has like multiple girlfriends, is right. pretty charismatic to, as for, for a nerdy kind of guy mm-hmm. is. Yeah. And with Raimi's idea, in Raimi's head, Raimi kind of came to the approach of like, while I understand that, in reality, I don't think someone like Peter would just automatically become... Uh, fuckable after getting <laughs> powers, and, yeah. and ultimately, I think he would still be awkward, and still kind of have those little, the, the little social awkwardness that would kind of not go away immediately. Sure, yeah. And it leads to, and it leads to basically what I think a lot of people don't like these films is the fact that my biggest theory about this is that the reason why people don't like Maguire's Parker a lot. And it's not saying that Parker's McGuire is perfect. I do think there are elements that I love. Okay. But I don't think overall that he's perfect because, you know, McGuire is, I think, a really good actor. I don't know if I'd say great. Um, <laughs> he's a, Yeah, he's a talented actor. It, it, he's talented, but I, I will argue that out of all the people who have played Spider-Man, he is not even the second most talented out of them. Right, just in terms of his the rest of, of the his career. Of the live action ones, The yeah. rest of his career. Um, yeah, I would even say with the animated ones, I think Jake Johnson captures it better. Yeah, but, you know, I would, the thing about it is that pe- people who love Spider-Man tend to love Spider-Man because they see themselves in Peter. Uh-huh. They want to be Peter. They want to be Spider-Man. A lot of people love Spider-Man because they're like, he is he is poor, he is nerdy, and everyone just completely doesn't, like, kind of doesn't appreciate him enough and doesn't really think that he could even be a superhero. Yeah, well... And I kind of want that to be me. Right, yeah. And so when you watch these films and you see some of the most awkward things that McGuire does, all intentional, up until the up to the third film, which makes a big swing, a big awkward choice that I have opinions on that I think might be controversial. But at the time, like, people start to realize, like, people go, I hate this film because it's not the Parker I want it to be because I don't want to see myself in this Parker. <laughs> Which is why when Amazing Spider-Man comes out and Andrew Garfield is... Uh, sexy Peter. That's why people went, he's the best Spider-Man we've ever had. And it's like, <laughs> calm down. No, he's not. He's actually worse in places. Yeah. But in the time, it's like, it. Peter, like, Maguire and Raimi's interpretation of Peter is very fascinating. I feel like is realistic for the time in terms of what they're trying to do. Uh-huh. But again, it's not one-to-one Peter. No. So it's like, you can do better, in which they have done better, I would argue, and I know you won't disagree with this. I think Holland, Tom Holland, is the best mix of right. you know nerdy Peter by also being like modern day Peter without being like a fucking Poindexter. Right, because kind of. it it is it's very. I think I think people 
look at Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, and then they look at, like, literally the first issue that Spider-Man shows up in the comics ever, you know, his mm-hmm. origin story, basically. Um, and they kind of, they see, oh, Peter is supposed to be, you know, a total schlub, like a loser, doesn't know how to talk to anybody. No. He's completely socially inept and like that's not true he's just unpopular and nerdy he likes school and he likes Mm -hmm. science and he's he is awkward but that's mostly a product of just not having a lot of friends yeah um and people people kind of i think people conflate that kind of very first issue or very first couple issues spider-man as like oh, that's what Peter Parker's meant to always be. And then no. they're like, oh, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland, they're too charismatic. Peter's supposed to be a loser when he's not Spider-Man. It's like, no, not necessarily. Yeah, yeah I mean, he is kind of a loser at first, <laughs> but he doesn't stay that way. No, of course not. Um, and he, he does have terrible luck, that's for sure. But Absolutely. having terrible luck your whole life does not necessarily make you, like, in, you know, socially awkward. Um, yeah, no. But, but I, yeah, yeah, there's definitely kind of... Um, but Ramy Ramy leaned into that that book not necessarily bookworminess but like that no. that nerdiness awkwardness um and and kind of emphasized that and I yeah. think that's a lot of people's idea of what Peter Parker's supposed to be now um, yeah because, because Ramy leaned into that and decided I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue this version of Peter where seems unrealistic that just because you get powers you suddenly become cooler. Yeah, because the thing is, like, yeah, like, Peter is in, in, in the Raimi films, he's endearing, He's is charismatic with certain people. I think he's great with Harry. I think he's, honestly, I think he's super sweet with MJ, and I kind of love the mm. things that he say out loud where it's like, that should not work, but you're saying that so earnestly. I love it. Oh, I might, I, I might, you might, to, I know you'll I disagree with me. I might have to dissent here that's and fine, i'll, that's I'll fine. go ahead and come out with my kind of swing with my controversial <laughs> no, go opinion. ahead go ahead i think mcguire and it and i'm when i say mcguire this mcguire that i'm referring to this kind of you're talking about his performance well no i'm talking about this version of the character not inherent not not just mcguire's acting job not just Raimi's writing job just kind of how it all comes together this iteration i think these movies almost work Maybe I wouldn't go this far, but almost in spite of Maguire's Peter, I don't think he's a compelling protagonist. Really, I okay. don't like okay. him. Okay. I don't find okay. him endearing or his relationship <laughs> with MJ compelling. And I think that's a huge drag on on these mm-hmm. movies is that kind of relationship and mm-hmm. his kind of inability to appear human. Sometimes <laughs> I, I think Tobey Maguire a lot of times, okay. and again, again, I don't know how much of these are Maguire's choices or Raimi's direction or what. But um, I think there are a lot of moments, particularly, well, not in any particular film, but kind of all across the three where it's just like, I don't believe that he's a real person because I've never seen somebody act like that or say that. And it's just kind of like, you know, sometimes the schlock works and sometimes the schlock feels like just totally out of left field and it it doesn't make sense to me. So I'll go ahead and, and be the... No, it's the fine. The pariah like, that hates, I don't hate, but, but you know, I, no, no, I'm I really you. not a fan of, of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man as a protagonist in these movies. And I can get that. And I, I think it's I kind of the rest like, of the movie that makes them interesting. Again, I would say out of the three, the big three in terms of the live action Spider-Mans, which are 
uh, acting-wise, Holland, oh, sure. Garfield, and Maguire, in terms of just their raw acting at- abilities, I would argue that Maguire is the weakest. Yeah. Because, right. uh, I mean, I don't think anything shows any better than the fact that post-Spider-Man, his, films have, his film performances have ranged from, like, not supposed to be funny, but has become funny. Yeah. Or Nick Carraway in Great Gatsby, who is such a nothing character, he just... <laughs> He just has to be there. Yeah, he's and you're just like, hey, that's slate. that's Toby Maguire from Spider Man. Right, right. Yeah, or like, I know he's great. In, I think he's great in Pond Sacrifice, where he plays Bobby. Yeah, Fisher. I've heard that. I've never seen I, it. He's not a, again not a bad actor, but compared to other actors who have ultimately played the character and I think have gotten worse writing in places, I think Maguire plays it in a way that, in all honesty, I. I personally have to disagree with it. Just the fact that, like, every time I feel like it should not work for me, it does. Okay. Like it's weird. Yeah. Like again, when I watched when I watched the first one, I watched it with both of my roommates as well as um, one of my roommates' girlfriends, Jake's girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, because she had she had not seen the first Spider-Man film since she was probably five or six. Yeah. And we are all in the room. And we were at this. We were at the scenes where he's saying, like, you know, I cried like a baby when I saw you in Cinderella. Oh, and it's right, like right, I was right. like five. Or like and the he's... scene where they're in the hospital, and he's like, uh, "What did you tell Spider-Man about me?" And I said, "MJ, when yeah, you look yeah. in her eyes, your and life is over, but it's I not. Be honest, and you exist, but you don't." All of us really loved those. Moments. I, I hate it. I, I can't stand it. I love those moments, and in all honesty, and this is probably another controversial opinion to me. Um, I feel like those feel a little bit more to the film than like in the Amazing Spider-Man films where it's just Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone flirting with one another. Those are cute moments in those films, but those moments feel like this does not feel like this is supposed to be happening. It's just both of them want to fuck each other. Sure, sure. And it's it's just like they're just letting it happen because they're like, we can... We can maybe make this work. And well, we, the, we can make it work. Yeah, it's the, the like... thing with that is the Maguire or the Raimi films are, there's so much more um, like in the writing style, there's so much more coherence. Like it's, they're consistent. Yes. They're written consistently. The characters yes. sound the same. The character, every scene, it's, it it's makes almost... sense that kind of these renditions of these characters act the way they do. Yeah. It's... Um, but like, yeah, the Amazing Spider-Man movies, I do think just from a raw acting perspective, Garfield maybe delivers more. But yeah, those movies are so all over the place. Yeah, also the writing sucks. Yeah, in the first, in the Garfield's first one, doing in a the lot with one. very poor material. Yeah. He um, he plays, in arguably, in my opinion, the worst Peter Parker in the first Amazing Spider-Man. I fucking hate him in the first Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. They, and then they the, lean a little too much into the, like, Angst. Peter's asshole phase. Yeah, yeah. which is, which which, is granted, not that long. <laughs> well, granted... There's been a lot of asshole Peter phases throughout comics. That is very true. Um, and th- they certainly lean into that. And I kind of appreciate that they try to do that, but it kind of also makes him very unlikable for long stretches in, of the movie. And then Amazing Spider-Man 2, he's just New Yorker. Like, he's yeah, just, he's like, just he's, suddenly the the charming New Yorker, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. The thing the thing about Maguire and Raimi is just, like, it, it feels like the only time. It's it's so It's so weird. Anytime I've seen Maguire outside of the Spider-Man films, it's genuinely been hit or miss. Yeah. In terms of like when I see performance, but when I watch him in these films, I think he mainly hits like ninety oh. to ninety-five percent. I think he's mostly miss. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, that's just where we're his line to delivery just doesn't do it for me. Because to me, it just feels like in any other film, that line delivery would not work. But since this this series to me feels like Raimi's like, 
We're taking Donner Superman. We're uh-huh. doing classic Hollywood hero, but we're also going to do Spider-Man at the same time. And it's also 2001 when we're shooting this. Yeah. All these things are coming together to make three films that genuinely, honestly, shouldn't have really, shouldn't really exist in 2000, like in the mm-hmm. 2000s, but just exist anyway. Yeah. And surprisingly worked so well to the point where all three films, I believe, I know Spider-Man 3 was the highest grossing film in 07, but I'm pretty sure one and two of Spider-Man were like in the top five for highest grossing films yeah, well, of I their think, years. So I it's like, it worked I think maybe wildly. both of them, or at least Spider-Man 2, set the like opening weekend record. Probably did. I mean, it, it was big enough and that... And held on to it until, like, um, shoot, what was the movie that took it away? Um, I'm thinking I 2004. Oh, no, Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean. Oh, Oh, took that makes it sense. from the first uh, Spider-Man. That makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. But no, it's it's just like it's so funny because it's it's hard to talk like when people talk about timeless films. I think we have a hard time discussing the fact that like I don't really think that that is true. I don't about I, it's, what that about a film the... can be timeless because at oh, the same time right. every film is held back or at least is tied to the technology that yeah. made it at its time. Right. But I do like the notion of what a timeless film could be in terms of it's like it doesn't matter that it's 2021 and we're watching a film that's obviously from 2002 because they didn't fucking jump on those floats. But in in those floats, you know, or like, you know, that looked a little. uh, Yeah, I I feel like. (laughs) But yeah, I feel like a movie that's timeless is not necessarily it's not that it doesn't ever look dated or sound dated or whatever. It's more, you know, just that the the spirit of what it's doing stays intact despite yeah. the aged out how much has changed execution yeah. yeah and that's why i would say if i were to give any three of them any like the biggest thing i would say the first one of these films is timeless like i've seen oh, this film sure, yeah. so many times to the point where it's like there are times where i'm bored and i've just put it on uh-huh. and it's ultimately watched the whole thing again right and or the fact that like when i watched it with my roommates it was the fact that like i just wasn't thinking about it but i was saying the lines mm-hmm. while they were happening like it was just one of those films where it's just like i i tend to love it more and more each time i watch it oh, i'm really? never gonna say it's a perfect film because sure. it isn't but i am gonna yeah. say it's pretty fucking great personally i, I, I was i was kind of surprised and honestly disappointed um on my most recent watch of that first one just because um i think i i don't have a lot of yeah, I don't know. You could call it nostalgia or rose-tinted memory of these movies, not nearly as much as uh, some people do. I absolutely um, but do. I had. But I will clarify that that is... What everything I've said so far is not rose-colored. Sure, it's, sure. It's just been my initial... Um, like my, in, but it, in my memory, I've kind of like... Okay, because I... And we'll get to this, but I don't like Spider-Man 2 nearly as much as most people do. I don't yes. even... I don't think it's the best in the trilogy. Um, I don't think it's the best superhero movie or Spider-Man Agreed. movie of all Agreed. time. Agreed. But um, Spider-Man 1, I had kind of, I think, elevated in my mind as like, oh, everything about this movie works so much better than, say, 2 or 3 because it's more tonally consistent. And it is more tonally consistent, and it commits to that kind of schlock but I, I, I didn't buy it as much this time. And I was, okay. I was a little bit like, okay. this is still a good movie. I still like it. I love it. But I don't think it's, like, great. And I think it's its influence reaches further than it's, like, 
uh, I don't know, quality on its own merits, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like it, I can understand why so many movies exist only because of this movie. Yes. Um, but it's also like, well, you know, I guess still not as good as I remember, but I liked it. <laughs> it is, it is, it is, it's a big thing to say, but I, I do think that Sam Raimi is one of the kings, in my opinion, of purposeful schluck. Even mm. for his weaker films, sure, I enjoy the schlockiness to it. And I also think that's like the fact that like most filmmakers don't try this anymore makes it clear that one, it's really fucking difficult to make this work. And two, it I mean it's it just shows how much more impactful these films are in terms of just like how unique. Mm-hmm. How the fact that like there's a whole scene in Spider Man two where fucking Peter and Mary Jane are just standing in a coffee shop and it's like a good thirty seconds of just the cutting to like someone stomping or Doc Ock stomping, and then it cuts back, and it does a little slower zoom. It does a right, fast right, zoom. Right. Then it does it again, and then it does it again, and <laughs> it gets closer and closer, and it's so silly. But, man, it genuinely works, and it's so weird how, like, how just how Raimi still seems to know how to do that. Because even even his most recent film, uh, which is Haas the Great and the Powerful. Yeah, from there is eight moments, years ago. Eight years ago, fuck. There's there are moments in that film where even I'm gonna be like this movie's not that good, but man, <laughs> I like that. Like I was like I'm surprised that that actually works. And even performances in that film feel like he's like we gotta we gotta play this up because yeah. like that's the thing is like Raimi, Raimi feels like the perfect type of comic book fan to do a comic book film because he is a nerd, but he doesn't treat this like it's Citizen Kane right. or it's the Bible or it's like yeah, some yeah. untouchable thing that you can't. like make malleable or kind of like form in a way that like is different yeah but i think that's one of the things that's hard now and i think it's clear as to why the mcu kind of wants to bring raimi in for doctor strange 2 and do doctor strange 2 because it's like he can do something different and like kind of form a different character in a way that maybe can do like what taika does with thor or like taika did with thor like what james gunn did with guardians reignite the character or what raimi did with spider-man like it's like it's one of those things where it's like he is the first modern example in my opinion of like an auteur coming in doing his very clear version of Mm -hmm. this that like no one else should really want to do yeah but he does it and it works and from that point forward we see smaller versions of that like the same year that fucking Spider-Man 2 comes out, we get Del Toro's basically auteur take of Hellboy. Right, yeah. Which I think is just as passionate yeah, yeah, yeah. in like kind of the approach as well. And I don't think that film is even exists if it's not for like in the popularity of these. Yeah, yeah. And I would agree with you a hundred percent that Spider-Man 2 is not the greatest superhero film of all time. <laughs> it is not the best Spider-Man film of all time. And because, I mean, that would be into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> and I don't think anything's really going to touch that. Even the Spider-Verse 2 sequel, I don't think is going to touch that. Probably not. But I think Spider-Man 2 still, again, similar to the first Spider-Man film, I am just shocked by the fact that, like, he does it again, where it's a nearly tight two-hour film, or if you watch the 2.1, two <laughs> hours and, like, 12 minutes. Yeah which I did and doesn't really add much, but you know, <laughs> Hey, you get Jay Jonah in a, in a Spider-Man suit, right, which is a goofy right. moment, which we should say, I think Jay Jonah is probably the best thing about all three of these movies. Just because he, everything he does and says 
always works 100% of the time. He's always funny. He's always convincing. He's He loses himself in the character, which is something I feel most of the rest of the cast fails to do. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. But uh, okay. with the exception of like the villains and stuff, I think they're... they're oh, good. yeah, that's but, the thing, too. It's like, even in 3, um, even in 3, where it's like, you know, Sandman has been changed in a way that I personally do not like in terms of Peter's tie to Peter. Yeah, that and, thing's uh, Venom is uh, vastly different than what he is in the comics. I think both uh, Thomas Hayden Church and Topher Grace do a pretty damn good job with what they're given yeah. and are fun to watch, even though they are, of course, have very either very little to work with or just like way too much that they don't like they have so much to catch up with. Right. Yeah. And I mean, to me, this is probably going to be another thing that we uh, disagree on. And that's totally fine is that I, I genuinely believe I think the ensembles in all three of these films are good mm-hmm. i i genuinely think that kirsten dunst gets too much shit for mj i think a lot of her issues I, as a character i think is because of the writing because the yeah, writing I, gets I worse with the each character film. is worse than the performance yes because um, i because i think mj in the first film is adorable you know the, the, the girl the, the girl next door i think she is perfect for that film in terms of like what they're trying to capture even though her hair is obviously fake and they'd make that work as well as they can. Yeah. And But every film after that, incl- with Spider-Man 3 being the worst offender of this, they don't give Mary Jane a lot to do. Yeah, and she kind of just becomes a stumbling block yes. for Peter, which which reflects poorly on her, even if it's like not always her fault, although yeah. sometimes she's kind of a jerk. Um, but I think in three, she's the biggest jerk. In yeah, the oh meanest. yeah. Oh but like yeah. in which, two, which is just adding insult to injury for her character yes. by that point because she's already not a great character. But then you get to three, and she just kind of sucks, and you're oh, like, okay, God. I'm just gonna dogpile her. Everyone, now. almost everyone sucks in Spider-Man three. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but the fact, I'm like, I I think Kirsten Dunst in two, I really just enjoy just how frustrated she is with Peter the whole time, where it's like, in yeah. like Peter is like trying his best to kind of bring the romance back in between them that they kind of had for a second, the spark. And like, yeah, it's which it, we never really figure out what that spark is or why they like each other. But the spark is the fact that like, and it's, it could, you can take it more than this. You can take it less. It's the fact that like out of all the men that she's had in her life, uh, he doesn't beat her or abuse yeah. her. He is a nice guy and he genuinely wants to be, be with her in a way that doesn't feel like she's arm candy on his arm like she it seems like he genuinely loves her and i think for her he she's like shit i don't think i've ever felt this in my life you know what fuck it i'll go for it and when she goes for it she gets turned down and friend zoned and then in this film i love how like every time i love the scene where peter reads her poetry because it is so clear that like in peter's head He's telling her exactly what she needs, what he thinks she needs to hear. Right. Where it's like, I, I do love you. I lied. But then she goes, okay, then why'd you lie? And then he just goes, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best part. To me, I do love the whole stuff in Spider-Man 2 where it's the fact that like the first hour is just the world ragging on Peter. Because that, that's some that's some comic Peter shit. Yeah. And I really, I really feel like it captures the essence of like, okay... He is Spider-Man, but that doesn't take away the fact that he's not born Spider-Man. He's Peter, right? And yeah. he's constantly failing because he's trying so hard to be him. And it's like, yeah, ah, just 
two, I think, is still, I still think two is great. I just don't think it is the greatest thing in the world because it isn't. Because in, in my opinion, I feel like since the film is bigger, since the film has more money, since the film is trying to do bigger and better stuff, it's a little bit more bloated in places. Yeah. And the fact that, like, Doc Ock kind of, as much as I enjoy, because I think Alpha Merlina's Doc Ock is phenomenal, he still also, at a, at a core level, is the, alter, is the dual personality situation yeah, right, that right. Uh, Osborne deals with. Which, yeah. again, Doc Ock in the comics has gone through twists and turns as well. And I well, think about it. Yeah. And it's almost a little more hokey with Doc Ock than it is with Green Goblin just because yes. it's like, oh, the the arms are taking over his mind. And it's well, like, it's, it's okay, also, well, yeah. All right, whatever. Yeah. But it's also great. The arms though. talk to him. It, it's great, though, because the arms are wonderful. The I arms love, are cool. The, the, he yeah. looks great. I love his design because it's like, you know, if you're like us and you grow up with the animated series and you see him in like his goofy yeah, yellow and like green a costume. Boys costume yeah, he's, yeah. he's wearing like a futuristic visor for glasses and a green and yellow like jumpsuit <laughs> and got it's a like cut. it's like you can't do this in a fucking right, film yeah. and then what what do they do they make him kind of shirtless and have he a trench homeless coat. yeah it's great because why yeah. would he give a fuck about clothes he just yeah. wants to be proven right he's a man of science <laughs> not a, fashion yeah he reads poetry builds shit in a pier and just right. like goes to town and again like it's hard not to watch Spider-Man two, like watch the trilogy and be like, "Oh, we're doing this already." Like I love the fact that in the scene, that pretty much you know with Joel McHale where they oh, announce yeah. that like you know, you Ma can't keep the house yeah, and right. Peter's poor as shit, so we can't help with it. Not even ten, fifteen seconds after that is introduced, fucking Doc Ock is in the same bank. Yeah, and he's I, going. It moves. Yeah, that it moves quick. Yeah, Raimi's like, I'm not gonna pussyfoot around here. Like, you want to see Doc Ock <laughs> steal shit because right. it's a Spider-Man villain, and he's gonna grab and, bags of gold coins because that's what banks have is bags yeah. of gold. coins. You need to have the great line. I genuinely think it's great where he grabs the bag and goes, "Here's your change," and yeah. just shoves the bag back Here's in your Doc. Chain. Oh, God. It's just, it's so much fun. It's, again, 2 is just a fun film. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good sequel. I think it's better in places, but overall is not better than the first film. And yeah. as much as I love, I love the moment when Mary Jane finds out who Peter is, who Spider-Man is. But I would say that the ending is, uh, it's, it's not as, tr- I think all the endings post 1 are not as, not as good. Yeah. They're 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 yeah, good. Yeah, one is, one's ending just, is very like it's all it's kind of bold. It's, the flag. it's like it's, the it's flag, like oh man. shit. No, but uh, yeah, no. Well, the thing with two with her finding out who he is is like they already imply at the end of the first film that she figures out, which I kind of love. Which is like <laughs> wait a minute. So then so then we get to Spider Man two and she. Uh, the, the idea has never crossed her mind, well, and it's like, what? I think, well, in two, they do address that that I like, where it's like, when she finally sees him out of the mask, he goes, she goes like, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I kind of, I think I've always known that. And I and I believe that, because throughout the film, there are moments where Dunst plays Mary Jane in a way where it's like, if this was any other guy, she would have just cut him, cut him, cut him completely. But, like, when he calls... And, like, you know, he runs out of money and whatnot. You see in her face that, like, she's just waiting for him for him to tell her. So when he doesn't, it, I think it makes it more frustrating for her. And she's like, I'm not going to be the one to say it out loud. Because yeah. if you're not him, that's fucking embarrassing. And I don't want to be the one to <laughs> pretend. But, like, 
you've got to be him. Uh-huh. And I think the performance does well enough that when she finally says, like, I think I've kind of known. Because I, I love that moment at the end of the first film where she, like, touches her lips and yeah, goes. Yeah, she, like, gasps. She's like, wait, I've kissed. I've definitely kissed him before, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's good shit. And I think in two, there's a lot of good shit. And there's one thing in the trilogy that I think is not talked about a lot. And it's not going to probably be talked about much now because of the controversy surrounding him. But I would argue outside of his performance as Tommy Wiseau in The Disaster Artist, I think this might be Franco's best performance I've seen him Maybe. in. I haven't seen 127 <clears throat> Hours. I hear that's his big he movie. Is, he is great. He, I've heard he's great in that. But like the thing that's so crazy about Harry is that despite the little amount of screen time he gets in each film, up until three, which we will get to that, <laughs> I think he he maximizes his time. Because oh, I think I it's because because well, I because like one of my favorite moments in the first film is when they graduate and like Norman gives him a a firm handshake you know good job uh-huh. son right, didn't yeah. think you can get this far and then he gets to Peter and he becomes more fatherly to Peter starts talking right, to Peter yeah. the scene is not trying to give you moments of Harry however he's in the scene mm-hmm. and if you watch he's him in the background he's yeah. in the background and franco is acting the shit out of just disappointment and just like daddy issues and <laughs> just like it is a good five to ten second scene but it completely captures why he is the way that he is and then for going on into two i think he's i think that's one thing that two does better i like harry a lot more in two I think uh, I find Harry to be tedious after the first film. Okay, okay. I I, I think he they, I d- they don't I can... give him proper enough motivation to be as stuck on the issue that he's stuck on, which is his dead dad and Spider Man yeah, did it. Because in, in the um, first film, in case you've gone this far and not have not seen these films, at the very end of Spider Man One, Green Goblin accidentally kills himself, and Harry and believes, it of course, looks like Spider Man did it, killed him. Um, uh, but and, and, and Harry never finds that out until the end of the third movie because yeah. the fucking butler Bernard, who looks like he's on death's door for the entire trilogy, didn't bother to tell him <laughs> that's, that's, until the third movie that, that his dad killed himself. That is something I feel like was maybe one of the only things that like either Raimi was like, I don't know if we're ever gonna like fully bring this out right, with yeah. this guy. like that feels like that was not the initial idea to do well, no, I, but then, I don't like... think it was but also it feels like it feels like a band-aid on an issue that they never figured out how to resolve which yes. i think reflects on on spider-man 2 in that we spend the whole movie not understanding why he's so stuck on this and why he's willing to go to such lengths and why he's basically been driven mad well because a lot of because a lot of it too is because peter's plight in two is basically believing that he has to be a martyr like Uh, two's biggest thing is the fact that like he just has to learn that like you don't have to be the martyr you can have people in your life that you can that can console you and know you and even know everything about you, but, like, you have to understand that, like, that's not going to fully let this load off. This load will never really go away. Right. And so for, like, the first hour of the film, he is just constantly coming up with bad excuse after bad excuse. Yeah. And, I get in, and, like, Harry is just, like, an easy thing. Like, he could obviously tell Harry why it is what it is, but, again, he just goes, like, I'm a martyr. I, this is this is my pain. This is what I need right, to deal yeah, with. So right. when Harry's slapping the shit out of him drunk at a party, yeah. it's like, you could find a way to deal with this, but you're not doing this. This is really kind of on yeah. you a little bit. And then and Spider-Man 3 becomes worse because it's like, 
I don't know how many time passes between two and three and the film never tells you. Yeah. But they should have talked. Yeah, well, and, and <laughs> Peter kind of does this heel turn between two and three where in two, like you said, he's kind of arbitrarily refusing to talk to him about it. And then in yeah. three, he keeps going like, Harry, we should talk about this. And by this point, Harry is like, I'm going to kill you. I hate you. Yeah. You and your spider buddy. I hate you. We're never going to talk. And it's like, well, well, okay, three, well, well, three, it's like, I know who you are now. Yeah. I'm coming. And it just, it just, I think for me, makes that whole conflict feel very kind of fabricated rather than a natural occurrence of these two characters and why mm-hmm. this wouldn't have gotten resolved already. It, I, I will um, say that is that it, I can see that. I, I just, I think it I never, think it never fully bothered me because it always felt theatrical where I really sure. liked how like, because like I love the part where um, Spider-Man saves P- uh, Harry during Doc's failed experiment, and he goes, "This doesn't change anything." It's like I love that. Yeah, I love he's still like a petty piece of shit even after being Literally saved. Point five seconds <laughs> after his life is saved, was, his first thought is that that this felt like that felt again that felt like kind of like classic comic. Like you know, I can't. I have one thing that I can't let go, and I have this. This drives me because we only have twelve pages to tell. Well, the right, story. yeah, and it, that, that's a. It's a uh, format justification in comics, but here it's just like a, a, okay, sure, they would do that in the comics, so sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, that's a like, it's personal preference thing, I think, in yeah. that regard. But I, I think he captures Harry in a way that, like, I've seen other people do it, and I just I just love how he gets the, um, just, not the, tra- kind of like the, the damaged, tragic, rich boy that just, like, yeah. fully is, is so emotionally stunted he he either is like in the show or like in the in the animated series or sometimes in the comics where he's just like he is just kind of the weird one. He is weird. Yeah. Or he's like he is in the movies where it's just like he just becomes a recluse mm-hmm. and tries to basically force himself to either be his father or just be his father. That's like his big thing. Right, both, yeah. And all in like the last two films. But I really I think because like for me, even though Franco is really not like Franco's not, again, I say it's like a second best performance, but I'm not saying the man deserved to be nominated for any of the films. I just, like, even though it's Franco, it looks like Franco, it's one of the times where it's like, I see Harry. Like, sure, I feel like he's sure. genuinely trying. Well, and, and especially I think he with works. where James Franco's career goes from here, it's kind of like, he almost kind of becomes like an over-the-top parody type actor after this, whereas yeah, in this, becomes, it actually feels like mm-hmm. he's trying to be an actual character. You know what? Well, hold just on. Like hold himself. on. I will say it's probably his third best performance. Maybe his second best performance is uh, the interview. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think he's, he's a blast in that. They hate us because see hate again. Us, that's you know. that's kind of him just being. Yeah, that's James like, that's, Franco dialed up to thirteen. That's the like, peak of the uh, ironic Franco. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but no, yeah. I mean, Spider-Man One is. I th- did you say it was your favorite? Spider-Man, was, the first one is my yeah. favorite of the three. I was yeah. going to say, Sp- Spider-Man 1's mine. Spider-Man 2, I mean, personally, I think it's great, but I also don't believe it's, I don't even think it's top five in terms of best superhero films of all time. I'd argue I'd, I'd rather put the 2002 film in terms of, like, oh, one yeah. of the greatest superhero films in there. Sure. However, we're done talking about the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, you know, we, we can praise both of those well, for yeah. two hours, but we really just need to talk about the film that from this point forward, I think every Spider-Man film has tried not to be. Yeah. Uh, tried or, or not least always if they, succeeded. In yeah. If they try from. to build a trilogy, they don't want it to be this way. And ultimately it doesn't seem like it's gone any farther from this. Where it's, yeah. Spider-Man three in 2007 
is weird because the film did decently critically. It is the highest grossing film of 07. It is in theaters for months. Like, it does incredibly well. To the yeah, point where I it's think like, it was kind of mixed critically, but it did. Yep. Well, if you can hear that, uh, <laughs> that's, my, that's my neighbor. We're Blasting some to... music. I guess we'll have a soundtrack today. Uh, I guess um, we will. But, but yeah, um, no, I think it had kind of a mixed positive reception, but it did do huge numbers, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's just like, this is the first time I think I've seen three all the way through in over a decade. Wait, I, what? Say that again? Three. Like, I've oh, seen over, yeah, for yeah, like yeah. over a decade. I, God, the fact that he's playing music right now. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't mess with our mix. Uh, we'll we'll figure it out. Uh, hopefully it, this will be fine. <laughs> All right, back to it. Spider-Man Three is bloated. It is not good. It is just it has long as the first two films, if not a little bit. I think it's the longest. Isn't it, it is the longest, but it's not that much longer. Yeah, right. It's still and, not even two and a half hours. Uh, but the thing about Three that really is just so frustrating is that at the end of Two. It feels like they've they've made it easy for themselves. MJ knows Spider-Man's a little bit happier. Spider-Man now is just like full on the bet yeah, everyone's favorite person in New yeah, York. Yeah, he's riding the highest he's ever been. He's, he's beaten two supervillains, and Harry is basically going to become New Goblin. So you have an easy setup, right? And the initial idea was going to just be Harry and Sandman. They wanted to yes, do Sandman. Right. Because the whole thing about the original idea for this film was it was going to be about forgiveness. They were going to commit to the whole thing about Sandman being the real guy that kills Peter's uncle. And then just, like, be the entire film about, like, Peter realizing that just because he is a hero and a a symbol, that doesn't mean he is um, ultimately... Like altruistic or always sure. right, right, yeah, or yeah, yeah. good, just naturally. He has the same vices that any normal person yeah. would have. And when they try to do this, he also like Raimi is like, maybe we could also put Vulture in there because I like Vulture. And then of course, uh, Avi Arad, who produces all three of these films, right. goes, uh, "You always want to put your villains in there. Let's put one of my favorites <laughs> in there instead." And he suggests Venom. Yeah, he basically so, cited the kind of. Venom's cultural popularity um, as a yes. reason to put the character in. Meanwhile, Raimi didn't like that. He didn't like the character of Venom. No, he had no he, interest it in telling a story about It grew on him as time him. went. Yeah, but, but he had no interest in including him. But Avi Arad, the bastard that he is, was like, no, you're going to put him in there. Here, here's another controversial opinion, I guess, about the comics. I don't think Venom's that great. Uh, yeah, well, I think I, he I only think he's became. Not a great villain. Gr- I think he only became great much, much later, and yes. I think him as kind of his original version is not that interesting of a character. I think he's more interesting as an antihero, or if it's just more like his own thing. Yeah, right. I mean, his, I'm not his... saying that the Venom films are good. No, they're not. Spinoff comics but... are pretty interesting. Yeah, because it, it's fun. What it's what is the duality, but it's just their duality. They're not yeah. trying to save. Well, his like lethal protector thing is cool. Yes, but like yeah. yeah, as a Spider-Man villain, it's kind of he's kind is of is Agent like, Venom even worth anything? I know there's like Agent Venom's kind of cool. Yeah, I think Anti Venom is almost more interesting. Oh yeah, there's Anti Venom because there's all those different things with the symbiotes. Yeah, Good the symbiotes Lord. have their own universe basically. Oh god, which is what Sony, I guess, is trying to capitalize on. 
Uh, but I don't, I mean, it's just like going into this, this is the one I've seen the least. This is the one that I've known forever that this is the worst one. But I also know that this film has had one of the wildest, like kind of public perceptions over the years that I think I've seen. But it's also, I think it's because this is one of the first mainstream films to kind of go through this roller coaster of like, when I saw this film, I only met like one or two people that hated this film. Yeah. Like outright. That's like, I was, I kind of alluded to that earlier. I don't remember, like, I did not remember it being a bad movie. No. Like when I saw it in theaters, I remember being like, all right, Spider-Man, cool. I mean, I was 12, but like. That's the thing is we were both young. It was like, it was three or four years till I started hearing like, oh man, that, what a bad movie. And I was like, really? And then I went back and watched it. it But it wasn't even that it was a bad movie. It went from, oh, the movie was great to, this is one of the worst superhero films that have ever, has ever been made. Yeah, it got the BVS kind of response. And And it's wild because yeah, when you're a kid who thought that was a good movie and then you hear people who don't like it and you go, ah, they just, they're dissenters, whatever. I don't, I don't agree with that. And then everyone now the public opinion is that it's great or yeah, that it's awful. it's gone through this and kind then, of revisionism thing. Yeah, well, now it's like it's a secret masterpiece. Right. And here's the thing. It isn't. No. However, it's now time for me <laughs> to bring up what's probably going to be my most controversial opinion. Yeah. Um, there, the. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the best way to bring this up. I... <laughs> Give me a second. I think emo Peter Parker is genuinely great. <laughs> I think if there's anything in this film that I genuinely enjoy, it is Thomas Hayden Church's Sandman. I think he's great. I think yeah, he's, right. Yeah, sure. I think he wearing he's that great, stupid fucking striped gets shirt way too little to do, but is yes. great. Yeah, I think he is perfect casting for that. And I think if I see him in No Way Home in any way, I'll be like, hell yes. Right. Yeah. And I think emo Peter Parker is genuinely great. But I also completely, 100% understand why people hated it. I love I, I love Emo that. Peter in the context of the clusterfuck dumpster fire that is this movie. <laughs> like, when you have a movie where Spider-Man does a dance number at a jazz club. Like, Dude, dig in, on this. In that realm. <laughs> yeah, in in the realm that this movie exists in, which is a very unique one. Yeah, um, this, one, this one's the weirdest one. Emo and I love Peter that. is a hilarious highlight and I think he's funny. Do I think it was a good choice to make Peter behave this way throughout this movie? No, but like it does make this bad movie more entertaining. I and I think it it makes it more I don't know, watchable or or <laughs> interesting. It's like, okay, well this is all bad, but at least that is enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Cuz that's the thing for me is the fact that like I think the f- this film, the first hour of it is almost unbearable in places. I think it's fine in terms of like, overall, it is watchable. But what's so hard to watch about that first hour of this film is that there are little choices that are bad, Mm -hmm. and they just keep piling on. Yeah, right. Up until you get to Emo Parker, where I just went, I'm going to be completely honest, I think this is the weirdest choice they've made so far. but I think it's great and I completely understand where they're coming from Yeah. because everything prior to that is we get MJ losing her part at a musical two days after it opens, we also which is don't hilarious. We really ever quite figure and out why she was 
that bad. bad. Like she's, she's fine. She's good. She's I, good. She's good. It's Kirsten Dunst. And her replacement, who we see do the part, is not any better. No, it's just as good. And so Anything. it's like the 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 excuse they use is that oh like the critics didn't like it or whatever but it's like yeah. we what don't does that mean? we don't get to see why the critics didn't like it yeah and it's also again like only a day or two after they yeah. open an easy fix to that would have been you know have you know peter's unreliability result mm-hmm. in her like screwing up in her performance again kind of like she does in two yeah and that like costs her the part that or, would be one way to do it but it instead be... it's just like oh she's good oh suddenly she sucks oh It'd be even more interesting, too, if her whole thing is the fact that, like, she is now juggling with trying to basically be in the play at the same time. Like, she has almost a double life kind of scenario, too, where yeah, she's right. Peter's girlfriend, but also has to do this. Right, so right. when you do the symbiote stuff, it can become more believable when, like, he's trying to reach out to her, but she can't yeah. get to him because she's trying to get her big break she, to work. Yeah, she's kind of... It, as unavailable as he is or she, yeah in in i don't mean in the movie i mean in our idealized version of no yeah in, in this film what happens is uh it's the epitome of they just do not talk to one another so it's yeah. like when it's when that things frustrating don't work. relationship drama yeah. dynamic in a movie where it's like you could just solve this right now mm-hmm. and where you it's don't like, for two and a half hours where it's like listen i get why you're mad at him but like don't treat this as if this is going to ruin the relationship like complete and then yeah. it's also or like, like Peter, she come on. isn't also you know a little She's bit the guilty in certain yeah i, I hate she her just this. is insufferable and it's not it is, kirsten dunn's fault no. it's just the script it is clear i feel edit. like it is clear to me in the performances of both Maguire and Dunst in this film, that both of them do not want to be back for a fourth one. Yeah. They don't want to do this anymore. They, I mean, the whole thing about Kirsten, too, is like Kirsten Dunst only did these films, or only did the original film, I think before a contract, because she saw that Maguire got attached, and she thought, oh, this maybe this film will have more of an independent feel and it's not going to be like X-Men. Right. She did not expect these films to be 800 plus million dollar <laughs> box office films. Yeah. And here she is and stuck in, in this machine. She's stuck in this thing where it's like she is one of the she is the worst character at this point in this film and it's clear that Dunst is just like doing it because she has to. She has to. <laughs> And it's one of those things where it's like they were planning to do a four because at a certain point Ramy was like, "God, the studio is shoving so much shit in here that I can't really deal with, and I can't, right. I, I have to do another one." And when they do three, makes a shit ton of money, and four goes into I think early, early pre-production. Both Dunst and McGuire are just like, "I'm out." Yeah, like McGuire well, is a dad at this point, and Dunst is just like, "I'm sick." Right. Of well, being part in these. of part of the the mess that happens there is like, I mean, Ramey obviously, as we talked about, did not want to include a lot of the things that they forced him to include in this film. Yeah. And because he didn't put his foot down or wasn't able to put his foot down or wasn't able to get his way in three and had to kind of appease the studio. Then when it came time to start production or pre-production on four, he decided, okay, no, I'm going to put my foot down. I'm going to do Vulture. I'm not going to do these characters you want me to do. I'm going to make the movie I want to make. And that's ultimately what costs him or, you know, costs everybody the movie is he stands up for himself. And you can't blame him. Because they they screwed up his third movie and ruined it for him. And then he's like, okay, well, at least give me the fourth movie and make it mine. And they're like, no. 
And so they yeah, scrap it, it. It basically goes like, you know, they go, put in Venom. He's like, we'll put in Venom. And they're like, you know, hey, if you're going to put it in, like, you have to have more for Eddie. Maybe Eddie should have a duality with Peter with yeah. a girlfriend. So you got to throw Gwen Stacy in there. <laughs> and it's like, sure, I guess I'll throw Gwen okay, Stacy fine. in the third film. Mm-hmm. No big deal. Yeah. And it's just like all these things where it's like, in the first hour of the film, you were introduced to Harry's new goblin. Harry tries to fight Peter. He hilariously gets his ass beat real easy and then gets amnesia for 45 minutes. Right. Uh, Mary Jane loses the play because critics, I guess. Yeah. And she is just like, she sees Peter as Spider-Man once he gets the key to the city. He kisses Gwen the same way that he yeah. kissed her in the first film and then just can't let that go. Which I will say, it's also bad on Peter's part. It's bad on Peter's on Peter. part. It's also like doesn't really feel motivated like for peter to do that no it's, it, it's no, like no. why wait a minute peter hold on no, it's like, i know oh, you're this kind is... of an idiot but like yeah. what what were you yeah. thinking yeah also i would just he have to say stunned when mary jane's yeah. mad about it it's it was like, funny what are, too what are you thinking? when i watched this i watched this with my roommate jake and jake was like i was like is he an idiot she could pull off his mask like entirely right i was like why don't I just kiss him on the I was like yeah i was like i was like yeah yeah why don't I just kiss him on the cheek with the mask on why the yeah. hell is he so but they're like you have to make drama right you have to throw it in that cheap so unnecessary drama in there and also we have you know you find out that sandman accidentally well you find out later that it's accidental but at the <laughs> time yeah. like sandman killed uncle ben yeah well yeah the sandman is like on the run because he escaped prison and so the police are investigating him, and they mm-hmm. bring in Peter and May because they're yeah. like, "This is the man who really killed." You also have Peter trying to marry Aunt May and try to find a way to propose to her, and you also have, oh, I don't know, the fucking symbiote that makes Black Suit Spider-Man and Venom just show up. There's a little, <laughs> this little meteor that just like pitters out of the it's sky, a very and anticlimactic meteor, yeah. And it's kind of fascinating how nonchalant. How, like, you go, oh, that's right, the symbiote's in the film. What? Yeah. I completely forgot. <laughs> it's, it's entirely unaddressed that a meteor entirely. falls from the sky and produces an alien being. Like, the film never addresses that. No. Or, or has anybody, I mean, Dr. Connors does have that scene where he's doing research on it, but he doesn't, you know, make any discovery about it. He's just like... Uh, I would stay away from this thing. It's a symbiote. Yeah, and there just, you have it, the name it of it. Controls um, it. Controls people. Like it slowly just takes yeah. away from its host and all that. And at the time, emo Peter's eating cookies, so he doesn't give a shit. But right, like, yeah, yeah oh, it's like me some. it's like again before the first hour is over, we have five different things yeah. that by the end of this film we're going to have to finish, and that's not even that's also not even counting. Peter trying to get the job <laughs> that Eddie Brock is trying to get. So right. that's like six. And then like, you know, the weird thing with Gwen, you can call a seven. Like, again, it's just little things that are just like, you didn't have to do that. You yeah. didn't have to do that. This is easily fixable. Why is this in here? Why is all of this that like seems so minute and honestly just like makes the second one's approach to it look that much more that much better when you're just like slowly adding more and more dumb shit that you ultimately just go oh harry remembers he just looks in the mirror and yeah. touches him touches himself in the mirror like well like he touches like the mirror and goes oh i remember everything 
And it's like, why did you have to do it then? Why, why was this happening? Yeah. And then it's the whole thing where he's like forces MJ to like, you know, break up with Peter. And it's like, MJ, like Peter beat his ass. There's nothing <laughs> like he could do it again. He's not, yeah. He's also black suit Spider-Man. He does it again. <laughs> right. But it's also funny the fact that it's like the third one is also the first time where you go, wait, how much time has passed? Because I, it seems like there's not enough time that has passed between two and three. Yeah. Um, has Peter not told MJ that the man that uh, kidnapped her and nearly killed her in the first film is Harry's father, and <laughs> Harry thinks that he killed his father? You know, something that's important when it comes to their friendship yeah. as a trio. Right, right. And also, like, it's just like it seems like it's the biggest, the biggest offense of the film is the idea of like, oh, I guess we just didn't talk about it. Yeah. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> it's, oh my God. And it's, so that's why when it gets to a point where it's emo Peter, and it's clear that this is a choice that makes sense in Raimi's mind, Maguire is all for it, and they are going ham. They're going hard yeah. into it. It's hard not to be like, I'm glad there's at least one idea, whether it's dumb, that they at least believe in it enough that they're just going well, to commit to this for a good yeah, moment. You, you have to wonder watching it. And also once you know the context that, you know, Raimi did not like Venom and did not want to include no. that as part of the movie. Um, you have to wonder if he leaned so hard into this ridiculousness that is mm -hmm. emo Peter as a way of spiting the studio for forcing it him to include it, me. which almost makes it, you know, makes emo Peter more admirable, but like, yeah. like it's, it's, it's a little bit interesting. Cause it's like, Hmm, this is the worst and also the best and most interesting part of this movie at this point. And I can't help but feel like he did this mm -hmm. because he didn't want to do it. Yeah. So I he mean, made it, it fun for it, himself. It feels like it perfectly fits his version of Peter where it's like, Peter is doing this because in the comic, Peter, when he gets the symbiote, he becomes meaner, he becomes hard, harder, becomes a little bit hotter to some people, and it's like, I could see Raimi being like, I just, I don't know if I want to try to make him hotter, like, this version yeah. of Peter, wouldn't it be more interesting if we saw what his version of cooler was? Right, this Peter, and, in the previous in films, never, le never leaves dweebdom. Like this, that's this version of Peter is a dweeb forever, and so it yeah, would be weird to suddenly make yeah. him very appealing in the third film. Yeah, he's 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 socially awkward through every single one of the yeah. films. He's very sweet. People like him, but it's not. Yeah, he's he's not doing any massive changes personality wise. Right. Uh, it's definitely clear that like being Spider Man has changed him, but not in the way that he does in the comics. Yeah. And in this, it's in the third film. It is the. It's the biggest diversion, I would say, from the comics in terms of being like, instead of him actually being cool, it's this, it's now he finally has the overconfidence and the perception of coolness, cool, yeah. even though he looks silly as shit and right. looks like he's trying to be discount Pete Wentz from Fallout <laughs> Boy. And it leads to, honestly, my favorite part of the film, which is everything with Emo Parker. And then once Emo Parker stops, the, the finale of the film just feels like Raimi going... Well, I had to do Venom, so I guess Venom's the third act villain. Yeah. Because, like, that's another thing about Spider-Man 3 is there's no real villain. Like, there's no real, like, 
main antagonistic force that's constantly coming back. Yeah, it's back. not like Spider-Man 1 or 2 where you're cutting back and forth between Peter's progression and the villain's progression. Yeah, it's just... It's just Peter is screwing mm-hmm. up his own life and everything's going wrong and then, okay, there are these three threats out there and they yeah. all decide to come kind of together at different points and like, uh, I think screw his a, life up. I think... I don't know if Raimi's talked about this outright, but I know that like there's there's reports that like when they made this film... You know, it was announced a week after Spider-Man 2 had come out. Not only was it announced, a release date was announced. Like, the studio was like, we're going into this right now. Yeah. And at the height of production with this film, which took about two years in total to make, they had, like, I think at one point, three crews working at the same time. Wow. Where it's like, apparently they shot the whole Sandman versus Spider-Man on the, on the like, the, the bank truck. Oh, yeah. Apparently they shot that in Cleveland. Huh. They shot in New York at the very end of shooting, and I think Jeez. they also shot in L.A. <laughs> and I think like Raimi is like going back and forth from all three of these locations, uh-huh. making sure it's looking like what he wants it to be. Then at a certain point, he's probably so tired, burnt out. Yeah. It also feels like this is becoming less and less my project. Yeah, which spiraling guess, out of control. Which guess what? When Mark Webb directs the Amazing Spider-Man films. You feel that <laughs> 10 hundred times more. Yeah. It feels clear that Sony was like, if you're going to make more of these, we want more control. Yeah. And then when Raimi foot, put his foot down, like you said, for the first time, that was probably That's the nail in the coffin. That's the boot, yeah. That's where he left. That's where he probably left before they could probably fire him. Right, yeah. <laughs> and they could make, they could say, creative differences yeah. is what they say. And, I, well, and I, it and, makes sense. Yeah, well, and... and... It, it, it's it's really sad to like if you've looked into any of the like behind the scenes stuff or the concept stage interviews or whatever with like Mark Webb and stuff. Just seeing how like that that man wanted to bring his yeah, own Spider Man to life and yeah. c- kind of just got stomped into the dirt in the process yeah. by the studio. He didn't he didn't think Avi Arad was in the back <laughs> trying to get Venom again, trying to do it right, again yeah. one more time. Because again, what's the funniest thing about Spider Man Three is the fact that like. One of the biggest critiques that people had with this film were the fact that there were three villains. Yeah. And, I mean, roughly, I don't know if New Goblin's a full-on villain. I mean, but I, I get it. He is in the comics, so he's a, he's villain. a villain. He's not necessarily evil, but he's yeah, a villain. Yeah, yeah, he's an antagonistic force, and I get that. There's three antagonists in Spider-Man 3, and they say, like, you know, if they didn't have all three of those, it would it would probably be better. And you know what? They've done it again. Right. And they're apparently going to do it again. <laughs> And not yeah, only, it's again, like the curse of Spider-Man movies not, that we keep seeing. Yeah, I mean, okay, I guess this may be spoilers for No Way Home. I don't. Well, I don't, it's not spoilers because we haven't seen the. Movie. We have. That's the thing too is we haven't seen the film, but we are theorizing here. Um, it is just astounding to think that in Spider-Man Three there are three antagonists. In Amazing Spider-Man Three there are three antagonists. Amazing Spider-Man we, Two. Amazing Spider-Man Two. Thank you. For, for, fortunately, we did not get an Amazing Spider-Man yeah. Three. Apparently, if they did, they had it in talks about bringing Dennis Leary back. So I'm glad they didn't have an Amazing Spider-Man Three. Like Ghost. No, like, I think reanimated oh, or something like wow. that. Okay, I mean, yeah. when Dennis Leary talks about that film, like that yeah. could have happened. He's like, "Thank God that I'm like, thank God that didn't happen." Right. But Amazing Spider-Man 2, they have three villains with the hopes that, you know, maybe we'll do a Sinister Six. There's, it's not and, just hopes. There's a lot of a lot mm-hmm. of uh, kind of uh, unearned Easter eggs planted in there. Yeah, for and characters Sinister that are Six. only there just to come back for another film, right, even though yeah. they have two lines. Felicia Hardy. Yeah, and then we're now at Spider-Man No Way Home, 
and they are going to do a what seems to be a multiverse version of the Sinister Six. Yeah, well, with and it's, all the films prior. Part part of me hopes. Part of me doesn't hope this because it could turn out very poorly. But part of me hope. I guess either way, it could turn out poorly. But part of me is hoping that a lot of what we're seeing in these trailers of all these kind of legacy villains showing up all at once is largely set up for a proper Sinister Six conflict later. Yeah. And, like, they might show up and they might all clash kind of at once, but then maybe, you know, the conf- they, they get away or Peter sends them away or whatever. It gets unres- kind of resolved but unresolved. And then maybe in a Spider-Man 4 or something we get more of a substantial Sinister Six thing. But, yeah, it really, based on the trailers, feels like it very well could fall prey to a lot of the same issues that we've seen mm-hmm. in... Or you know, climactic Spider-Man sequels yeah. so far. So it's it's just so wild to think that a lot of the issues that three has, it seems like just on paper those elements are still around even in the MCU. Yeah. Well, so and what's it's the be... common denominator in all this? But Sony. Yes, that is true. <laughs> it it would not surprise me, and I don't think it surprises anybody that like it's a good chance that the reason why this upcoming Spider-Man film is going to be a multiverse film because they did Into the Spider-Verse and, and that was, was so well received. Everybody loves it, yeah. Why don't we try to do it again? Uh, right. And again, and again, because there's like two or three animated films in development right now, yeah. and it's, as well as No Way Home. Well, and it's also and clear amidst Sony's other kind of independent Marvel efforts that they're they're trying to exert more control on their Marvel properties. Yeah. And it feels kind of like this is their way of doing that. It's like, oh, what if we have all these throwbacks to our Spider-Man movies, mm-hmm. you know, from before Marvel's cinematic universe? And, yeah. You know, let's let's push that. Let's push the Spider-Verse thing because we did Spider-Verse and that was great. And let's remind people that that was great. It was great. Yeah. And, Everyone loved it. You know, I don't know that a group as or a company as powerful as Marvel Studios can exactly be bullied per se, but it kind of seems like they're getting kind of forced into this like let's throw everything at the wall yeah. type approach. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. Like it's it's so clear in Spider Man three yeah, that like, like Sony is almost refusing to learn from their own mistakes. Yeah, because the big thing about Spider Man three is the fact that it's like by the way, I'm so glad we're not going to be on YouTube and care about ad revenue because we just heard the majority of uh, <laughs> Thunderstruck, <laughs> Thunderstruck yeah. by ACDC. I'm so glad this is the one night where he does this <laughs> and he doesn't ever do this <laughs> this especially this late. <sighs> but um, I mean besides that, I. It's so weird to think that not only is Spider-Man 3 just way too dense in terms of the amount of villains and just how little real kind of emotional kind of build-up all of them have had. It also is the fact that, like, all the emotional stuff that is just all personal and all Peter stuff and his whole friends and family aspects doesn't work either and is also way too, like, filled up. Yeah. It's it's way too bloated all, all across the board to the point where it's like, one of my favorite things about the trilogy is Roger Ebert's responses. Yeah. When he does the critiques, where oh, it's yeah. like the Spider-Man review one, where he personally was like, "It's flawed, and I think it's pretty good all around." But like, I feel like, you know, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. And then he's one of the first big ones with Spider-Man Two to say it's one of the greatest superhero films of right, all time. Yeah. He's like, I love the interpersonal conflicts. I love all the stuff with Peter. I want more of this with Mary Jane and all the stuff with his friends and family. And then Spider-Man 3 comes out, and he goes, 
I take back what I said about Spider-Man 2. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want all that anymore because yeah. it's not that good. Right. And it isn't. It's not a good movie. Spider-Man 3 is not a hidden masterpiece. It is unfortunately yeah. a, a, a watchable but bad film that ends on such a weak fucking note that I cannot believe that it ends like that. Right. Like it, it just ends with Peter and Peter and Mary Jane are back together and they're just going to live yeah, their it, life. It doesn't feel like a, a conclusion. triumphant conclusion. It doesn't feel particularly like a setup for more. It's just this kind of yeah. wet fart of a quiet ending where it's just like, okay, I guess everything's fine now. And it just ends. And we never got another one, and it makes sense. It makes complete sense yeah. why we got another one. And you know what? Even though the third one sucks, I would say, I mean, personally, it's worth the journey going through all three of these films, especially your first time, because it's very fascinating just to see how bad it gets yeah. <laughs> and how it's like, it doesn't get any worse. It just gets bad, and then it ends. It's done. And there's some fun stuff in the bad, but overall, it's just like, in my opinion... One and two are so great that it's worth going through three at least once when you're doing like the trilogy. <laughs> well, watch. and it's, it helps that it's. I wouldn't say in its entirety it's so bad it's good, but it dips into that plenty of times, so it's it's an enjoyable meme ride. Oh yeah, I mean uh, all the memes that have come out of the third film. Yeah. it's like it's funny to watch it again and be like, oh, this is what it is contextually. It's been right, so long. Right. Well, and I feel like the third film probably has a huge hand in why the other two films have also been memed to hell. Absolutely. Because of how bad the third one is, and then people kind of look back and they're like, oh, there's like meme moments in all of these. Yeah, it's, all, it's it's silly all around, but yeah. instead, like, unfortunately there's that time where they thought, oh, silly meant bad, and it's like, no, no, no. Three is silly and bad. <laughs> right, yeah. One and two are silly as shit, but they're nowhere near, like, as, they're not, they're, they're nowhere near bad. They're not bad. Yeah. And it's funny to think that, like, you know, from it's it's just very cut and dry. I think this trilogy, in terms of like, you know, great, great, wow, <laughs> that's bad. I'm kind of good, eh? Yikes. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, that's. I mean, it's either way. I think. I think in reality, the the responses are: you love the first two films, you don't like the third film. You're okay on the first two films, you don't like the third film. Yeah, either it's way, it's very the consistent. Third film's not uh, and not up to par. And yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's funny too, because it's like, I mean, personally, and we won't get too much into this, but it's just like, until we, because we, 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 we might cover the the MCU Spidey trilogy in the future. Maybe, yeah. Because like, we, because you know, that is, that is, that is a fascinating trilogy to talk about as well, because I feel like that trilogy has its own issues that only that trilogy can deal with. Yeah, because it's tied to, to a that cinematic trilogy, universe. Yeah. But um, it's just fascinating to me, just like, I, again, I don't think this trilogy is perfect. I don't think one or two are perfect, but it's astounding to think, to see later iterations, excluding Into the Spider-Verse, but ex later iterations of the live action films that say like, we're doing our own thing and either try to do Raimi and do it worse, which is Amazing Spider-Man 1 in a lot of places, where it's like they try to do Uncle Ben's death and it's well, worse. Well, I don't know that it's trying to do Raimi so much as trying to do original well, Peter it, well, again. It's, well, it's either that or they're afraid to even get close to it because, like, that's another thing with Amazing Spider-Man is, like, Amazing Spider-Man doesn't do with great power comes great responsibility. It, it has its own worse version of it. Yeah, they redo the line. They, like, rewrite the line, which is, like... it's awful. Yeah. It's bad. It's, it's not, like... 
it, it feels like, again, it feels like a, hey, can I copy your homework? Yeah, just make sure it's not that obvious. <laughs> right, right. And it's super obvious. And then, like, you get to the MCU and a lot of the things in there where it's like they just completely ignore crucial elements to Spider-Man. And while uh, it doesn't, I mean, certain disagree stuff. With that. I know you do. I'm I know. Gonna, what I'm going to say I that. know. But I, I didn't talk about this earlier, and I should. Yeah. But oh, sure, go pe- ahead. People take for granted how much the Raimi films actually like, because the big thing that people kind of throw at uh, at the uh, MCU Spider-Man for not including uh, as a fundamental tenet of Spider-Man's character is the whole Uncle Ben thing. Yeah, yeah. which the MCU kind of steps around completely. Oh yeah, it, it, um, it, I mean, he the, pretty much doesn't exist, even though he does. Yeah, yeah, there's they, implications, but there he's not are, mentioned. There are three um, references, and right. never by name. Right. But um, people take for granted how much Raimi's films actually inflated the importance of Uncle Ben to okay. Spider-Man's foundations as a character. Because, I mean... And I, I'm personally not one to, like, bitch and moan about comic book accuracy and doing it the way the comics did yeah, and that yeah. sort of thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I'll, I'll bring up this comparison just for context, just because kind of like we talked about earlier, how people kind of mythologize the Raimi trilogy to be like, oh, it tells the exact quintessential, you know, Spider-Man story. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, the uh, Uncle Ben in, like, the original story, I mean, yes, he, he does have... He, he dies, and that's a huge part of um, mm-hmm. how how Peter becomes Spider-Man in the first place. But his significance toward, A, the great responsibility mantra, um, he doesn't even say it in the comics. He doesn't. It's I a know Stan that. Lee, like, yellow text thing. Yes, Where yes. Stan's narrating over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, in, in Stan Lee and S- Steve Ditko, sorry. Yeah, uh, Stan Ditko, Lee and yeah. Steve Ditko's initial run of Spider-Man, like... Hundred issues or whatever, Uncle Ben is mentioned like three times. Oh, I believe it. After yeah. he dies, um, and he he only kind of retrospectively becomes important. Not not important to Peter. He's important to Peter from the beginning, but he only retrospectively gets kind of attached to who Peter is as a person. And then Raimi kind of runs with that in his films and makes him a fa- foundational element of like. Uncle Ben is your guiding light. And comics, even from that point on, start to make Ben that, that, that well, guiding well, light. Well, even before then, though, too, is I think in the 80s and 90s, again, yeah, like, I mean, like the animated series makes it a big deal. Yes, like, oh, yeah, but, mean, like, but it's, it's, it's like they, the Raimi films kind of, uh, I don't know how to how to put it, but they they tie Ben in a lot more to who... Peter is as a person why he makes the choices that he does to be Spider-Man. Yeah. Which guess, were yeah. not as critical to that version of the character to the character originally. And and in yeah, fact Spider-Man originally Johnny Storm of the Fantastic 4 was more that kind yeah. of model figure for Peter um which, which is another yeah. thing people like to mock the MCU Spider-Man movies for him kind of idolizing Tony Stark and looking up to the Avengers and that sort of thing. It's like that is exactly what he was doing with the Fantastic Four. Oh no, he, Four am, no, his he was origin. absolutely. And Johnny that. Storm is kind of the main one of that, and he's yeah. really kind of the Uncle Ben figure in in classic Spider-Man. Um, yeah, but so, I so I, th- I think I think it gets a little overstated when people are like, oh, you know, Tom Holland Spider-Man. Oh, they they just 
run away from the critical Uncle Ben issue. And it's like, well, we've seen two iterations already. Yes. One yes. that everybody loves and will mm-hmm. never stop loving, which is Cliff yes. Robertson's Uncle Ben in these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and one is the one that everybody makes fun of because it tries to do it over again. Yeah, but and, worse. Right. Because right. like, he's like he... It's it's less it makes less sense in terms of why he dies right, and it also right. it feels like they're 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 just like t- tiptoeing around. <laughs> I yeah. mean that's the thing that kind of like that's what kind of shocks me the most too is it's like because it's not just that though because it's like the thing about the MCU Spider Man too is it's like there is a lot of choices that are made that are just like they're like well we're not gonna be Raimi and it's like that's fine but like in all honesty the things that you do that aren't Raimi just aren't as interesting or just aren't really characters anymore or or that's the thing too is well, I, hate, I hate talking about it like that because it sounds like I don't like MCU yeah. Spidey I think Tom Holland is the best balance of Peter and Spidey we've gotten yeah I just think it sucks that like we haven't had really a single Spider-Man film that is just him yeah that that I that's, agree with that that's is the, the thing unfortunate that, like, thing is that he's been kind of attached at the hip to yeah. the greater universe in all of his films because yeah. other than Homecoming, which I would say justifies his superhero connection, you know, with Iron Man and that sort of thing. Yeah. Other than that, yeah, he's always been kind of roped into this big, oh, the the universe is huge and everything's ending. And, yeah. And, yeah, unfortunately, well, he I think has that... not gotten the chance to just mm-hmm. kind of be on the ground. Yeah. Um, aside from Homecoming, which kind of is more that but it's I would say homecoming yeah home homecoming's the best I I I argue, I mean again we haven't seen no way home yet right but I feel like homecoming's still going to be my favorite because homecoming feels like it actually still understands that like I love Peter when he is not in the suit like I like him when he is like I like the part in Homecoming where he stops being Spider-Man for a good 10 to 15 oh, minutes. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the shit that I like in Spider-Man 2 where it's like a good chunk of the first hour of Spider-Man 2 is mainly Peter drama. Yeah, right. And so I like the stuff in Homecoming where he's like, you know, asking Liz out, learning yeah. how to tie a tie with Aunt Doing May. Doing high like, school stuff. Yeah, stuff yeah. like that that is uh, very missing and far from home. And I feel like in No Way Home, we're Might not going to get a lot of well, yeah. because we're going to get multiverse stuff. <laughs> And also is the fact that it's like, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I will also admit that in my mind, I, I personally believe that um, you should always kind of have that origin story in one shape or form, but it doesn't have to be the same way. I don't want it to be the same as Raimi's version because I don't think Raimi's version is the end-all be-all. Yeah. But I do think that like Ben's death is now more important because it's, it also shows that like, Peter's biggest flaw is he constantly thinks he can handle it on his own. At least in the comics, he constantly just was like, I need to do this because I deserve this. And it's like, no, you don't deserve this pain. Right, right. You don't need to do it on your own. And that's why Johnny is so important as well. And like his relationships with the Avengers and whatnot. Yeah. But it, it really does say a lot that like we were watching the first Spider-Man film and like Uncle Ben died. <laughs> Adam made a joke where it's like, God, he's just like, oh, no, Uncle Ben's dead. Okay, I'm going to go to space and fight with the Avengers. And that's kind of how the MCU is felt right now with Spider-Man, where I feel like Spider-Man has been like, it feels like we've gotten like a genuine arc with him, but instead of being like just one consistent Spider-Man arc, it's been like in between each issue, there's a crossover that kind of has him. Yeah, And then he like comes back to it, it, and then he goes back into a crossover. And then yeah, he goes it's, and, it's like if it were... 
Well, yeah. Uh, being that the MCU is kind of the closest thing the movies yeah. have gotten to be, um, like comic books. Um, For sure, yeah. The the Spider-Man's role in it is like as if he got introduced during an event and has kind of only been in event stories ever since. Yeah, which is weird. Which is unfortunate. <laughs> which and, is wild. And feels weird. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like his origin, I don't I don't mind that it's all inferred so far and i Mm -hmm. think the ways it has been inferred have Mm -hmm. been really good i love his scene with tony uh in his apartment in civil war like that's a good scene when he's kind of backdoor explaining yeah Yeah, the the, the one of three scenes that actually kind of talk about ben in some way shape or form or at least kind of brings him up yeah yeah Um, i mean i mean it's also I i think you know naturally they're like well let's not do the same thing over again and if we can do it kind of in a roundabout way let's try and do that and i think they do it well and i Mm -hmm. i don't i don't view it so much as like oh well raimi did it and we're gonna avoid raimi i think it's more just like let's not keep beating the same thing over and over if we can tell Mm -hmm. interesting stories without doing that again let's tell a different interesting story and i think they do that they just kind of unfortunately get a little distracted along the way and go off and do space adventure stuff. Oh yeah. I just think, I just think that it's just kind of wild to think that like when, when they announced they weren't going to do it, I was like, that's fine. Cause again, Mm -hmm. you don't have to do it because again, it's kind of like a, like a year two introduction. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of what I imagine the Batman with Robert Pattinson will be. um, Yeah. But uh, where it's kind of like, we're going to skip the origin stuff. It's still innate in his character, but we don't really need to discuss it because we all know it kind of thing. But it's like after the first Homecoming, after Homecoming comes out and Homecoming only doesn't ever bring up Ben once, but references the event talking about May. It's after that that we get a video game that doesn't do the origin story yet does two scenes that perfectly grab capture the origin story that a Uh film could do easily. And it's like, okay, that's great. And then you get into Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse doesn't hide from it. To the point where they use Cliff Robertson's fucking voiceover to do it. Mm -hmm. And goes like, all right, all right, all right. You know the story, but in case you don't, which is why I would like an origin story in most Spider-Man films. Or like in in a superhero film, because this might be the first time this person sees this hero. It might be nice to kind of see not only that again, but also how could you make it interesting? Because I believe that you can make an origin story a thousand times differently. Like, you, you can do it a thousand times and it not always feel the same way. Sure. But, I, like, yeah. it's the fact that, like, you know, PS4 Spider-Man does Uncle Ben's death, but does it without having to, you know, make you play through that experience. You have, you see a picture with him, and then you hear Aunt May, who, by the way, has never talked about Ben. And it's really weird that she's never talked about Ben. But she talks about Ben once, and then she chokes up, and then it's over. They never talk about him again. Uh-huh. And then in the MCU films... It's like weirdly like just nothing. Like it's it, it, and I'm not saying like every Aunt May line needs to have it, but like it also yeah. makes it clear that like Aunt May has such a weaker and weirder role now because she's she's now just a hot joke that doesn't oh, get a sure, lot of time yeah. to kind of build get and more character development. Yeah, Although, and I like Marissa Tomei. I yeah, want her yeah. to have more development, and I hope in No Way Home she does. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's like in like. I love, I can't believe we haven't even talked about her until this point, but like, I think Rosemary Harris is the perfect, in terms of my mind of like, you know, Aunt May, 
doesn't fully know what she's talking about, but she kind of knows that Peter is Spider-Man. Also, she looks like she's 800 years old. Yeah. Rosemary Harris captures that in all three films perfectly. And guess what? I don't need that again. Right. And in the Amazing Spider-Man films, they got Sally Fields. That's great. I don't need that again. Yeah. And then with Marissa Tomei, they get a great actress to play a role that is basically just a bunch of men saying, man, your aunt's fuckable. And it's like, that's yeah. so weird. It, they, yeah. When she's such an integral part to ground. him. Yeah. It's such a weird emotional. But again, again, I don't hate the MCU Spidey films. I think they're all really good. <laughs> yeah. I just think that like it's weird that like, in my mind, I've always thought that the Raimi films were great, but were never quintessential Spidey. And then it seems like every iteration that Sony's been involved with afterwards has seemed like they've been either afraid to do it, or when they do do it, it is kind of noticeably worse. Uh, <laughs> and it's been like in the Amazing Spider-Man films, uh-huh, like that's yeah. the example. But yeah, um, but I, yeah, that's that's just like in Spider-Man in general, and we're right. just like, again. I, I think there's there's much more issue. I I don't want No Way Home to just now be like we're all gonna talk about Ben now. Oh sure. But yeah. I, I think it's weird that the the first and only time we've had Ben be said out loud is in a what if episode. Oh yeah. That's the only time we've actually had that, and it's like yeah. I get it. I I agree with you too that like I don't need everything that Aunt May or like Peter says. I don't sure. need constant reminders of Ben, but it is nice just to kind of like sprinkle it in and then you can kind of taste it but it's not like overbearing sure but i think that's also coming from the lens of like oh well ben is a character who exists in the comics and exists in previous iterations of the character therefore he should be here but to your point earlier about saying like you know i don't know what somebody whose first exposure to spider-man would be the mcu what they would think Um, and personally, I feel like if this is your introduction to Spider-Man, you're not going to miss uncle Ben because no, although he's an integral part of the character in the original version of the character Mm -hmm. and in the Raimi version of the character, he's not an integral part of the story that they've chosen to tell about Peter in these movies. They've kind of, they've told the story after that kind of without going back to that. So it's kind of like a. If they were to include Uncle Ben, and I'm okay with they do as long as it's done well, um, that would be just kind of a nice bonus or nice nod to the character's legacy mm-hmm. um, and not something that I think is necessary to make the character's current story complete. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, and same I, with the origin. It's yeah. like, yes, you can make an origin <laughs> a thousand different ways and yeah. everyone can be good, but mm-hmm. this version of Spider-Man has a vague but it's a vague origin in terms of what exactly happened but Mm -hmm. it's clear what it did for him and that much is communicated perfectly yeah i i think it's clear in civil war and i do think that when when he when again when they do reference it i think it's nice but i i I think i would counteract that with the fact that i feel like if you bring a kid and you show them the mcu films they're going to immediately assume that spider-man's big thing is that he wants to impress Tony Stark, Tony Stark's his father figure, and also Tony makes all of his suits. Like there's weird things where it's just like, that's fine. It's like it's it's um, again it's it's an yeah. interpretation of the character, but I think it's also weird that like, I think it's weird that like when I when I watch the ending of Homecoming, I always love that ending until I realize oh that's right, they can't actually do that development because he has to be in Infinity War. And it's can't like do what? 
Like they can't, oh, they can't let him, they can't him. let him be street yeah, level. Yeah, but that's not like that's, that's not a flaw with Homecoming. That's a flaw no, with where they take the franchise from there. I think that's just the flaw of the execution of MCU Spidey because I feel like Spidey in the MCU, his biggest flaw is he's like the only superhero that is like upholden by like the actual phases and feels like he can't really have his own thing until they figure out where everyone else stands and then they go okay. Who can we maybe shove into this? And whether that's Sony yeah. or whether that is actually Marvel, we don't know. But it it does suck that like we are going to get a trilogy of Spider-Man films where it has been – Tony is in the first one. Nick Fury is a big part in the second one. And yeah. now Doctor Strange is a well, big part yeah, of the third it's, one. It's very much when, like uh, – well, it's, it's like the Captain America trilogy in a way where it's like – because these movies exist in this larger interconnected universe, mm-hmm. we're not going to get – pure trilogies in their pure form anymore in this franchise because that's not how these stories are told you know that's not how you know comics work either yeah for sure um and like like the thor trilogy is the same way that you're missing so much context if you you know just try and watch you know three points on the story oh definitely and that's definitely like a if we're comparing a trilogy to another trilogy it's a bummer but it's also like well, I guess we just you just have to, you know. No, I, watch I, I the again franchise as a franchise. Yeah. I will reiterate this as much as I need to. I think the MCU Spidey is great. I like the suits. I don't like Iron Spider that much, but that <laughs> is just either. a personal choice. But um I just think it's weird that like personally, if Feige came out and said we're doing another trilogy and guess what? He's finally gonna stay in New York the entire trilogy and yeah. do like street level stuff, I would I would lose my mind and then I'd be like can't believe i'm losing my mind over something that is so like i feel like integral to the character but again i don't think they're screwing the character up i think it's just like he definitely absolutely feels like an afterthought in the mcu where like Uh, it was it was never meant to be in terms of where he shows yeah where he shows up yeah like it's it's and i would i would say i think the characterization of peter slash spider-man in the mcu is the best version we've gotten even if the movies that he's in do not service the character quite no, as well. I would agree with that. So Again, like, as much as I love, I, I don't. You, you and I both don't love uh, Far From Home. No, um, I, I think I think it's a I, lot of fun. I yeah, just, it's again, fun. It's just it kind mm-hmm. of that's where we really start to see. Oh, they're kind of mm-hmm. forgetting to like let the character be himself. Yeah. And because because a big part of the big big issue with Far From Home and. Well, now we're getting this out of the way, but we'll probably reiterate it if we ever do the trilogy again. But, like, <laughs> I think a big issue with that one, that Homecoming kind of has a little bit of an issue, but not that much compared to comparatively, is that in Far From Home, it's constantly the film is um, counter- contradicting itself. It has Nick Fury constantly telling him that he needs to be an Avenger, but then scene by scene it can go from, you need to be an Avenger. No, fuck that. You need to be a high school student. You know what? Fuck that. You need to be an Avenger. Never mind that. And it's constantly doing that to a character that, in all honesty, already has enough on his plate Uh other than, like, obviously, like, a film and a writer not really knowing where he needs to be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also the fact that I, I personally think that, like, both Homecoming and Far From Home are just like creatively, I just don't find them as interesting as the Raimi films. But then again, I think it's also because of the fact that I just genuinely don't know what Watts is. I don't know what Watts is as a, I don't, I don't think after he doesn't, two films. He doesn't have the same like yeah. auteur identity. No. Definitely not. Raimi's on a technical level. Raimi's films but, are far more yeah. fascinating. But yeah. I also, 
and maybe this is a, a me thing, but like in movies in general, um, like emotionality or engaging storytelling is far more important to me than like um, stylistic approach. Not not to say that style is yeah. superfluous mm-hmm. or whatever. You no, know? for sure. I think style can be the substance. Yeah. Um, and is a lot of the substance in the Raimi films and mm-hmm. is not so much in the MCU films. Yes, um, yeah. But I, I find at least Homecoming, maybe not the rest of MCU Spider-Man <laughs> so far, but at least in Homecoming, I, I find more emotionally compelling than anything really okay. in the Raimi films. And I, okay. that's a fiery take, I know. That is, I was going to say, um, I disagree with ev- that. But everyone I, I disagrees that. with I, that. I, um, I, but I think Homecoming I, is I know the where best you're coming live from. action. Yeah. yeah. We've been friends long enough that we've kind of had these conversations. Yeah, we're rehashing it out times. for the audience, basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, and it's, and it's understandable too. And again, that's one of the reasons why I think Spider-Man is such a fascinating character too is the fact that like, this, there's three different live-action iterations of it, and they all feel vastly different. Mm-hmm. And it shows that like with comic book characters, even though it could be confusing if you make multiple the same character in a multiverse, yeah. you could do that. Oh, and yeah, and yeah. I and I think and, I'll, and I and I do think that the fact that like I again even though I have issues with MCU Spidey I'm excited to see what No Way Home does I'm cautiously yeah, I'm, optimistic. I'm really, yeah, I'm super excited to see what it is. Cautiously optimistic that they can maybe kind of pull it off. Mm-hmm. Um, very worried about it, but also yeah. hopeful that it's a great movie. And, at the same time, too, if, again, if Watts as a director, it doesn't seem like he's really showing too much on the screen, I'm still excited to see what he would do, what he's going to do with Fantastic Four, because that's what yeah, he has next. Yeah, because it's something else. It's a different and it also is, swing. It's also a film where I don't think they have to work with Sony, so it's going to be curious <laughs> to see what it looks like when he has carte blanche yeah. well, after three films yeah. with Spider-Man. Fantastic Four was... Fox, so now it's it's full it, Disney stock. Owned, Disney, it, Disney yeah. fully owns it, so it's like um, he can. If, if there's any weird shit that he couldn't do with the other Spider-Man yeah. films, I'd love to see it in a Fantastic Four. I film. also think we have the potential of seeing because there's just been news in the last several days, last week or so. There's kind of been conflicting statements from uh, yes. creative officials at Marvel and Sony versus Tom Holland's comments because it seemed like for a second Tom made some statements that made it sound like he's not going to be or doesn't want to be uh-huh. Spider-Man anymore. Uh, and then Amy Pascal was like, oh, we would hire him for a hundred more Spider-Man movies. And then just the other day, Amy said, we're working on Spider-Man 4 and the idea is to make it a trilogy and Tom's going to be in it. So it's like, well, I hope they're all on the same page about yeah. that. But it, it sounds also like um, mm-hmm. we very well could get, assuming we get another MCU Spider-Man trilogy with Tom Holland, I have a feeling it won't be John Watts, and they'll they'll move on to somebody else because he's I got Fantastic so, yeah. Four on his plate. And I know originally, like a year or two ago, when they were kind of talking about what's next for Spider-Man, they were saying Tom and John were working on a three and four. But given that Tom thought that three might be the end of his line, I don't yeah, think Watts' four is still happening. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's just hard to say. If but, Tom, if Tom but I was would, down for it. Yeah, I would yeah. love to see what. No offense to John Watts, because I I like Homecoming a lot. Um, yeah, but, Homecoming's good. But um, I would be interested to see what somebody else would do with the MCU's version of Spider-Man. Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to say this now, as somebody who is obviously a huge Raimi fan. 
I don't want him to do the Spider-Man 4 through 6. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Just it would because be I, weird. It would be very weird, and I feel like even Raimi would be like, nah, that's just way too close. Yeah. It's way too close I'm to the ex- chest. I'm plenty excited to see what Raimi does with Doctor Strange Absolutely. 2, and we can leave it at that. I don't I don't need him to come no, back yeah. and take over Spider-Man again. No, absolutely not. But um, yeah, that is the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. We've finally done it. We've uh, Plus an afterword about MCU which uh, Again, after the Zhao episode, I feel feel like that's what we should expect and we'll try not to do yeah, it as if long we ever talk but... about marvel stuff it's eventually yeah. gonna devolve again into we're two fucking nerds i mean yeah. if you couldn't tell at this point after doing so many episodes about different weird trilogies i don't yeah. know what else tells you and guess what we got another trilogy coming up we have a christmas trilogy oh, yes. that we have in two weeks Tis which season. what is what is today it'll be the th- Today fourth? is the fourth. It'll, it'll be, be the, the eighteenth. So be the yes. It'll be it'll be a day after No Way Home comes out worldwide, or at right. least comes out in this, the U.S. Probably since well, okay, we record live, but we may not have seen uh, No Way Home by the time we record that episode. Absolutely, so. uh, I don't. I, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, I, I don't think so. But at the same time, we are not going to be doing another Spider-Man episode. We are going to do an actual Christmas trilogy. However. Yes. In our own fashion, we are doing a weird as shit trilogy. Yeah. We are doing three versions of the same story. And that story is one of the, I would say, I can't say it's iconic because it's not that big of a film, but a cult Christmas horror film that has now gone on to have two remakes in the span of nearly 50 years. Yeah, right. We are going to be doing, I guess the best, I don't know, we're still working on the title, but I'm right now... <laughs> I think I, it's a pretty straightforward title. No, but it's I we're doing three different shades of Black Christmas. We are doing yes. three Black Christmas films. We are doing the original by Bob Clark in 1974. We're doing the remake in 2006. Black and, Xmas. Yes. And then we're also doing the second Black Christmas remake in the in the 2010s with 2019's Black Christmas. Yeah. We're going to be doing kind of like we did with a Nutcracker last year, but this time we're doing it with horror films. Yep. And I'm genuinely excited because I've never seen the original Black Christmas. I've not seen any of them. Which, fun fact, the original Black Christmas is directed by Bob Clark, who will later do A Christmas Story. Oh, yeah. In that, he is, he was, he, not only that, Black Christmas was going to be, like, going to have a sequel per se. John Carpenter wanted Halloween to kind of be a spiritual sequel Uh, to it initially. Before Bob Clark was like, yeah, you should probably do your own thing. You don't have to tie it to this. It's fine. A holiday horror uh, franchise. Yes, yeah, like a holiday, yeah, kind of, kind of that Black kind of Christmas, vibe. Christmas, Halloween, evil Easter. Yes, of course. But, um, yeah, we're going to be doing three different versions of Black Christmas. It's going to be fun to see yes. uh, how they go. I've never seen the original. I've seen most of the first remake. Okay. And all of the new one? Uh, no. Oh, the new one I'm, of the new one. The new one I've missed completely because that film just came out at yeah, the tail end of 2019 slipped and there. it got lambasted. Yeah. And I am very curious to see because the first remake was also not well received, right. but it's, it's kind of like, it Oh, this is a, a little bit of like of a fan base though. Yeah. yeah because it, cause it's a, it's, it's a black, it's a, it's a slasher. It's, yeah, a, it's right. a Christmas slasher. And then this, the newest remake, uh, which is, it's always funny to say that, but, um, <laughs> It's it's it takes the material in a vastly different way, yeah. in a different direction, and we're I'm very excited to see where it goes. And even if it's bad, I'm still excited to see where it goes. Yeah. 
But uh, tune in on the 18th when we talk about the three Black Christmas films in our Black Christmas trilogy. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.